Welcome back to the Don't Even Ask podcast, and if this is your first time listening, then welcome. My name is Sabrina, and I'm here to talk to you about things that are just weird and mysterious, things that maybe you have a question about but are too afraid to ask. Today we're going to be talking about something different, something maybe you've heard about, maybe you haven't, but today we're going to answer the question, what were the milkshake murders? Just to start with a general overview, we are talking about a few main characters. So you need to know Nancy Kissel. She was convicted of murdering her husband, Robert Kissel, the other person you need to know, in their Hong Kong apartment in November of 2003. Nancy Kissel was the vice president of the PTA at the Hong Kong International School. Her two daughters went there. She was a prominent member of the community. Robert, her husband, worked for Merrill Lynch as an investment banker. And not to mention, their apartment cost $20,000 a month. $20,000 a month. And in case you didn't hear that, $20,000 a month. This case is arguably the highest profile murder of an expat in Hong Kong's history, and the court hearing was packed. Not much is known, or at least not much information is available, about Nancy and Robert Kissel before they got married, so I don't have any information on their upbringings. But what I do know is that they got married at a yacht club in New York in 1989, and eight years later is when they moved to Hong Kong with their three children. So they were living life in Hong Kong because Robert had gotten his job, And everything was fine, you know, actually everything was great. They were very wealthy. Until 2003, with the SARS epidemic. Because of this, Nancy took the kids back to the United States to wait out this issue. At the time, Kissel began an affair with her electric repairman in the States, Michael. She even gifted him an expensive gold watch, though learning about how much money they had that doesn't necessarily shock me. They communicated all the time. Even after she went to Hong Kong, they communicated despite the distance. It's recorded that during September and October of 2003, she made a total of 158 phone calls to him. They remained in frequent communication during the days immediately following the murder as well, which is what we're going to talk about next. To get some background, Robert was suspicious of his wife's infidelity, and he actually hired a private detective from New York to spy on his wife. At the same time, he secretly installed spyware on her laptop. Interestingly enough, it recorded Google searches for the keywords sleeping pills and drug overdose, and another search for overdose medication causing heart attack. Robert grew more concerned when on October 23rd, he noticed that she made a search for rohypnol. After he noticed this Google search, he confided in a colleague at work named David, and he told him that his life may be in danger, though just because he said something, it doesn't seem like he took any other precautions because of it. The private detective that he was paying at the time suggested that Robert bring urine and blood samples to police in case she was gradually poisoning him or just so they could have some sort of baseline. But in the back of his mind, he felt guilty for suspecting his wife would actually do something like that. Unfortunately for him, he didn't do that, and I really wish he had. A psychiatrist named Dr. Desmond Fung 
testified that Nancy had visited him on August 29th and October 30th. Though he does not say anything specific or that I could find in any transcripts, he did say that Nancy reached out and tried to obtain prescriptions of tranquilizers. I assume that this doctor wrote the prescription, but again, there's nothing specific. Though, as you'll soon find out, this was clearly a premeditated plan, and I'm sure she manipulated these doctor visits to ultimately get her hands on the drugs. Prosecution alleged that Nancy drugged her husband after mixing tranquilizers into a strawberry milkshake. So that's where this gets its name, the milkshake murders. The part that is sickening to me is that she gave the milkshake to her six-year-old daughter and instructed her to give it to her father. This way, he wouldn't suspect anything. So that's horrible that she got her daughter unknowingly involved. Once Robert was knocked out, Nancy clubbed him to death with an eight-pound statue. So again, even though this is the milkshake murder, technically, she did club him to death. Afterwards, she rolled up his body in an oriental rug, tied it up with rope, and sealed it with clear adhesive tape, as one does. Nancy also took any items that were bloodstained and put them into boxes and decided to place them into storage. She couldn't even remove the rug herself, so she called apartment management to ask someone move the rug into storage. So that's also crazy to me. The day after she murdered her husband, she was very calculated still. She sent emails canceling appointments, claiming that her husband wasn't feeling well. The good thing is that Robert told his colleague David again that he had his suspicions. So when David noticed that he missed a big conference call, he quickly grew concerned. Though this murder probably wouldn't have gone unsolved for long, again, it's really good that Robert confided in someone that he could trust because unfortunately, the worst did happen. In the early hours of November 7, 2003, police investigators found Robert's decomposing remains in the storeroom, as well as the boxes of bloodstained bedding, clothing, and other materials. Nancy's fingerprint was all over the tape to seal the boxes. Once this case went to trial, Kissel had no qualms about admitting to her husband's murder. She claimed that the marriage was an unhappy one and that she was a victim of domestic violence. She told the court that he was a habitual cocaine user and that he'd even broken his daughter's arm. Though these claims of domestic violence or an unhappy marriage may be true, there is proof that he was not a cocaine user as he had drug tests for work, and a maid who witnessed the daughter break her arm said that it was completely unrelated and that Nancy was making the story up to get sympathy, maybe in hopes of getting off lightly. Essentially, people think that Nancy was playing victim. Again, I'm not going to completely rule that out, but that's the consensus, it seems. The trial lasted for 65 days, and on September 1st, 2005, so about two years after this murder, the jury unanimously found Nancy Kissel guilty of murder, and in that case, she served a life sentence. So in this story, the motive is a tale as old as time. Robert was going to file for divorce and take custody of the children. Nancy would lose everything, her family and her millions of dollars. 
As I stated before, I'm not sure of her background before. Maybe she did come from a wealthy family, but it sounds like all the things that she had and her ability not to work all came because of what Robert had brought to the table. In 2008, Kissel appealed her conviction, but it was rejected. And in 2010, she appealed her conviction yet again. This time it went to the Hong Kong Court of Final Appeal. Somehow she had the most incredible lawyers in the whole world and got a retrial, even though it's so obvious that she's guilty. The ultimate decision, thankfully, in 2011 was that she was found guilty. She ran out of her appeals, so it sounds like she can no longer appeal those. And she is serving her sentence at Thai Lam Center for Women, a maximum security prison in Hong Kong. I'm no expert at all in anything legal or criminal, so I decided to do some more research on my own because it just bothered me this lawyer thing about how she kept getting a retrial when it was so obvious that she was guilty. So I looked it up and I found that her lawyer was Edward Fitzgerald. He's worked some very serious cases in the past, such as the Moores murders, which I might do an episode on later. And he's represented some child killers. I don't really know all the situations. And again, I didn't dive deep into this man's life. But the real question I want to ask is how does this guy sleep at night? I don't know. The craziest thing about this story, maybe, is that Robert's brother, Andrew, was murdered in 2006. So I'd like to think that's just an unlucky family, but that's another story for another day. I've shamelessly saved this line until the end, but it looks like her milkshake brings all the boys to the graveyard. Sorry, that was terrible, I know. Just some news, my Instagram is now live at Don't Even Ask Pod, and I'm really excited for you to check it out. If you have any suggestions or questions, concerns, anything, please reach out. You can DM me. I don't have the email account ready right now, but again, the Instagram is live at Don't Even Ask Pod.